0: Well, good morning, everyone. Again, let me ask you to do this. Everything that is taught in the Word of God is taught in connection with everything else. We do see that, don't we? Everything that is taught in the Word of God is taught in connection with everything else. Nothing is taught in a correct biblical way in isolation. There's no such thing as an isolated, independent, standalone teaching. No such thing. Everything is a comprehensive, is part of a comprehensive whole. And the subject of this entire comprehension is Jesus. As he manifests and makes possible for us. experience the father's love so if you are missing any of the classes and i say this to many who will be hearing and to most who are not here but i'm so thankful you were here please please go online and find out what we've already said in the first two chapters lessons about god's aseity and if you've never heard that word you need to know what it means Okay, I just, again, say that because our understanding and appreciation and maybe even our experience of the love of God will be lacking. So we don't want that to happen. Amen. Thank you for saying amen. <laughs> well, all of you said amen in your hearts, correct? Yes, I, I could hear the roar of amen. Amen. So again, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for not honoring me, honoring the Lord, honoring the Holy Spirit and what he is teaching. Notice I did not say what he's trying to teach. In my mind, God never tries anything. I don't like that. God is trying. Don't like it. God is. And so this morning we'll begin to look at some of the attributes of God. We looked at his aseity. What does aseity mean? God's self-existence. That before anything was, God is. And because God is, everything else is. Do we see that? And so we are talking about the love of this God who is always, has always been, will always be. And that everything that we understand and see and everything of the created order has come into existence on one, for one reason. God has willed it to be so. And that's why we're here. And so God's aseity. His self-existence. This is a very basic, perhaps one of the most, maybe the most basic understanding of the person of God. His self-existence. So this morning we're going to talk about some of the attributes of God that inform his love. Now remember, we cannot and we will not discuss and understand the love of God correctly and biblically in isolation from the attributes of God. Those things which are essential, those qualities of God, that characteristic, that nature of God which is essential to him to be God. Now, we're not going to talk about every attribute of God. Why? Well, first of all, I don't think we're called to do that. And secondly, I can't do it, and David can't do it, and Andy can't do it because we don't know them all. But we're going to discuss at least some of the major attributes of God. And so, in in pursuing this, let's be reminded one more time about what we've already said. When we speak about the attributes of God, we are referring to the qualities of God's nature and character That are of his essence. Each attribute of God is self-existent. Why? Because God is self-existent. No attribute of God has ever come into existence. And no attribute of God will ever go out of existence. Now we have to be reminded of this very basically. Because we're confined in a time warp, if you would. And we know that things come into existence. And we know that things go out of existence. And because that's the only reality that we experience when it comes to who God is in himself, we too often attribute to God issues about him that we understand within the finiteness of our own creation. And not only finiteness, but fallenness and corruptness. And so we do see that when we talk about the attributes of God, they are as self-existent as God is. Why? Because God is his attributes. His attributes are God. We cannot separate. This means that each attribute is equally Not one attribute more, oh, I love the omnipotence of God. Oh, I love the omniscience. No, we dare not say that because every attribute of God is equally and simultaneously essential to the being of God so that no attribute functions independently from the others. So we should never have a favorite attribute. Amen? We should never have a favorite attribute, although there are some attributes that we experience more personally than other attributes. But that shouldn't make that attribute my favorite attribute of God. Because then we begin to compartmentalize a God who cannot be compartmentalized. All of God's attributes exist and function in perfect unity. So while it is instructive to study each attribute, it is important that each attribute is informed by the others so that no one attribute can be understood apart from the others. Okay, does that say enough about the attributes? We've kind of covered that in the last couple of weeks. Therefore, you see, when we are going to, in order to examine the attribute of God's love, we must examine the attribute of God's love and allow the love of God, to be informed by many, all well, some of the other attributes that we'll talk about. And this morning, we're going to begin to talk about the three omni-attributes, O-M-N-I. We're going to talk about the three, not this morning, all three of them. One this morning, one next week, and one the week after next. So I think right now, as we have it, we're going to be doing the three omnis, actually for the next three Sundays in December, and we'll finish the three omnis and then move on. So as we consider this, as we consider not only these attributes but any of the attributes of God, I want to stop for a moment and I want to remind us and more than remind us I want to warn us. I want to warn us about something. We are looking at And being given by the Holy Spirit some infinitesimal understanding. You know what infinitesimal means? Little bitty, 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 bitty. Infinitesimal understanding of who God is. And as he reveals who he is to us, what's going to happen, it's going to create enormous, questions in our hearts and our minds, because we're going to take that which God tells us about himself, and we're going to, with our little bitty minds, and not only little bitty minds, but fallen and minds that are in darkness and corrupted by sin and informed by this world that we live in, this finite world. And we're going to try to understand God a little more than what he's revealed to us. We're going to try to push the envelope to, to, to think and try to understand God beyond that which he tells us. Are you with me on this? We're going to try to do that. Now, may I say that's always a mistake. I didn't say understanding God is a mistake. Trying to understand God beyond what he tells us about himself is a major mistake, which leads to confusion, which leads to doubt, which leads to questioning this God. And it leads to bringing this God, this a say God this self existing God, down into our creation into the confines of our own knowledge and mind and abilities, and then now that we quote, if you would have him on the same level as we see and understand one another, we can begin to question, why isn't God this way? And God should be that way. And God should not be that way. And it's impossible for God. And we begin to level all of these charges against God. And we begin to create theologies and philosophies that satisfy man's finite understanding. And we begin to create a God of our own imagination, not the God of glory. So we have to just think if all the oceans of the world and you got one little bitty drop and in that one little bitty drop of all the oceans and all that the oceans contain and what they do, that's all that you have in order to figure out what the oceans are all about. And because you are unable to figure out a whole lot, therefore you're going to start proclaiming what the ocean should be and what they better be. Are you with me? And this is where false theology and cults come in. And this is where I'm not contrary and, and upset about science, but this is where science goes wrong. It is so much man thinking he has a comprehensive understanding Of everything that is and ever will be. And now we're going to make some statements about God. We have to be very careful. When we talk about the attributes of God, you will be confronted. And rightly so. With a lot of questions. Well, wait a minute. If that's that, what about that? Sometimes God will reveal it and sometimes he won't. And so what's the answer in our own souls? To be satisfied that God is God and we are not. Amen? Okay. So in this, let me read this scripture to you in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. And I want these two scriptures to to, uh, kind of be an umbrella, two umbrella scriptures that will inform our understanding and our study of the attributes of God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. The Lord is speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So could it be that God is going to show us an infinitesimal aspect of his thoughts and ways? And when we receive that, we're going to have some questions. When well, we should. And we're going to try to climb the ladder into God's thoughts and ways. Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine says what? what? The secret things. What does it mean secret? That means the things he ain't told you. The secret things belong to Yahweh. And the things that have been revealed belong to us. So, can we, as we move along and we begin to teach, and questions all over the place arise, can we look at the questions and look at them within the context of these two scriptures? Saying, you know, I'm going to trust what God says about himself and what is revealed. And I'm going to see what seems. May I re- repeat that word? What, what seems. May I repeat it one more time? What seems to be inconsistent. But remember, inconsistent within the confines of my infinitesimal fallen mind. Amen? We do see this, don't we? So let's make sure we see it that way. So omnipresent. The word omni simply means all. That's all it means, all, basically. Therefore, when we say that God is omnipresent, because we're talking about the omnipresence of God this morning, when we say that God is omnipresent, we mean that God is fully present everywhere immediately. All of God is completely here right now with us. All of God is completely in China right now with them. All of God is completely present In the furthest star in the universe, all of God is completely present everywhere immediately. Why? Because God is self existent, and this universe has been created by Him, and it is not in Him, a part of Him, it is external to Him, and His being is. Over it, if you would, and everything about this universe is by God comprehended immediately. Whew. Now, does that grab your mind or not? All of God is completely with us all the time, immediately. So we don't have some of God here this morning, and the Baptists have a little bit more. Maybe they don't have as much as we do. You know how that works. And the, and the Catholics certainly don't have any of God, right? Certainly God's not in the Catholic church this morning, right? Right or not? No, it's not right. But God certainly isn't with the, in the Buddhist temple. Where is God not? Nowhere. Nowhere. You see, we have to be careful how we think of God. There is no place in the creation where God is not fully present all the time. Now, why is this so? Why? Because omnipresence is an essential attribute of God's essence as the God who is a say. A and then S-E or the aseity of God. Because God is a say, because of God's aseity, self-existence, that means God's omnipresence is self-existence in him. Always has been, is, and always will be. For God to be God, he must be omnipresent. Okay, are we with this? Not rocket science this morning, but hopefully building something so we can look at God differently than we have before. God cannot but be omnipresent and continue to be God. So the next time you say, Lord, where are you? You've asked the wrong question. How many of have ever asked that? Come on, come on, come on. Certainly we have. Where are you? And sometimes we think, Karen, I don't think God is here right now. Because of all that's going on in my life, God can't be here. Is that a possible statement? Is it possible that God, Billy, can't be here with you in the middle of the worst thing you're going through? Is it possible? It's not possible, is it? Are we getting this? Let's make sure omnipresent means All the time, everywhere, immediately, comprehensively, God is. Listen to what Psalm 139, 7 to 10 says this. I didn't bring my Bible to read it. Well, I'll say it like this, like I have it in my notes. In Psalm 139, David begins and he says, oh, Yahweh. Lord, you know, Lord means Yahweh. Remember what the name Yahweh means. It is the name that God express the name that God gives Moses remember in Exodus 3 by which he will be known his great memorial name forever to all generations. It is the name that declares his aseity. I am. Right? I am. And so David begins this psalm as he does Yahweh is my shepherd, and so many others. And he begins on the basis, certainly, of declaring God's name. But when he does that, God is saying, when you declare my name, you are declaring my aseity, my ever-self-existent presence with you. You see that? It's just not, oh, God, what what is going on? It's a declaration And it is the basis for everything else that is said in this particular psalm as in others. Oh, Yahweh. In this address, God's aseity, his self-existence as the one who existed before creation, David is affirming this as the fundamental foundation, if you will, the foundation for the rest of the psalm. Everything else that David is going to say is because of God's aseity. Everything else is an elaboration, a elucidation of what it means for God to be self-existent. Therefore, because David's God is the I Am, the Yahweh, the Lord, the Yahweh of verse seven. In verse seven, he asks the questions that has to do with God omnipresent. Where can I go, and God isn't there? Right. Where can I go from your presence? If I go over here, God isn't there. If I participate in this, certainly God isn't there. God can't be on this and so on. And she said, where can I go from the presence of God? Where can I go? And the answer is what? Nowhere. Nowhere. Wait a minute. Hi. Mm-mm. That's Jonathan Duncan, everyone. Let's give Jonathan Duncan a hand. You see, even the little ones are drawn to the teaching of the Lord. Where can we go? Look, we think this way. This is half the problem. Our fear is where can I go? Let it get deep in us. He says this, if I ascend to heaven, oh, well, of course, God's there. God's in heaven. God's in, everybody knows God's in hell, So we're safe there. But if I make my bed in Sheol, that's in the underworld, in hell itself. Uh, mm, mm, uh, mm, uh, I thought hell was, mm, uh, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. Now, when David wrote this, as we've already said about Genesis 1.1, I believe the most powerful and revelatory and amazing and fantastic words in the entire Bible are the first four words of Genesis. In the beginning, God Why? Because the word beginning there has to do with before the world was created, before anything existed. What? God. And then what does he do? He creates. And when these words were penned, there was no such concept in the pagan world of a deity who was everywhere, all the time, at once, immediately, and comprehensively. You have your God in your country. I have my God in my country. We have about 15 gods in your country. You have about 38 in yours. We have 16 over there. Some of these gods are women. Some of these gods are male. Some of them are intermarrying. We have all these gods. That was the pagan world. If the Bible, specifically Genesis in particular, if Genesis were written by the typical pagan man, and that's what they all were in those days. It would have been written in a polytheistic theology context. Amen? This God would have been, Frank, he would have been God, but he would have been the greatest of all the gods. You see, Yahweh is not, he's the greatest of the gods. Oh, yeah, not, but no, there is no other God. And people will looking, are you crazy? What are you talking about? This is why the Athenians had so much trouble with Paul. What are you talking about? We've got all these gods. whatever. When you read the pages of Genesis, you are not reading the account of some ancient goofball who created a funny story out of his own imagination that conflicts with science and so it's all disproved. He is writing... From the mind of God Himself, the reality of God's self existence. Never has it been done before because man didn't have that understanding. Where did Moses get this? Where did he get it? Where? From the God who is self existent, who is omnipresent. God is omnipresent not only means that God is fully present everywhere, but he is also present all the time. So he's present every place and at every time, all the time, immediately and comprehensively. There is not a dot, a click of the clock, a vibration of a molecule where God is not fully present All the time. Because God's omnipotence, I'm sorry, omnipresence, I'm going to confuse the words you, you know, just put up with that. God's omnipresence is an essential attribute of his being as God. He can be, he can promise to always be present with his people in every circumstance. Remember, I am with you. How many times he says that? I am with you. I mean, do you remember in Exodus? Exodus. Moses meets God, and Moses tells God, I am going to deliver my people. Therefore, you go to deliver them. Uh, Moses has come out of a polytheistic system, Egypt. And Moses well knows which God is this. Which one are you? Who are you? What is your power? What is your jurisdiction? How can I be sure you're with me? You won't kind of send me out there and you're going to go do something else and you and another God are going to have a conversation. You're going to go and now leave me all You know, these are real questions Moses has. And God affirms and encourages Moses four times. I think it's chapter 6. I will be with you. I will be with you. How can he say that? Because he's omnipresent. He's not saying to Moses, I will be with you because of this, that, and the other. He is saying, I will be with you because I am the omnipresent God of glory. You see, God's presence with Moses and in every circumstance has nothing to do with the circumstance or Moses. It has everything to do with who God is in himself. And so the circumstances and the people and what is happening and what is not happening do not define or have any manipulative ability upon God's omnipresence. He is omnipresent. Why? Because he is And so he says, I will be with you. Remember Joshua. said, you're going to take the people into the land. Be courageous, whatever. Why? I'm with you. I'm with you. I am with you. Now, as we talk about these things, begin to think about the love of God in connection with God's omnipresence. Because one of the difficulties with us as a people is that we too often and too quickly Connect God's loving presence with what we just did and how we just acted and where we just went and what we just said. Amen? Amen. Can you say amen? Yes. Because what we have done, we have pulled this God of glory down to being a human God. And so when you begin to wonder, is God with me? What should your answer be God is omnipresent If God is not omnipresent he's not God He cannot be God apart from any attribute Because God is omnipresent his promise In Psalm 94:14 He promises this, I will not reject my people. I will never forsake his inheritance. How can we be sure of that? Because God's omnipresence. I'm not going to forsake you. How can we be sure of that? Because God is omnipresent. When God says, I'm not going to forsake you, he's not saying, I'm not going to forsake you if you don't forsake me. Does he say that? Well, if you don't love me, I'm not loving you. If you don't seek me, I'm not seeking you. That's us. That's who we are. I'll be nice to my wife if she's nice to me. God says, I'm never going anywhere. I'm not leaving. As sure as i am god i am with you as sure as i am god what i am with my people isaiah 7:14 god's omnipresence is given a name what is the name of god's omnipresence Emmanuel what does it mean god with us and there's no consideration of if this or if that or when the other Emmanuel is god's name remember you shall call his name Emmanuel a virgin shall conceive and remember that and you shall call his name Emmanuel why because god is saying I am with you, my people. Why? Because I am the God who is. He's with us. Why? Because he's omnipresent. It was God's omnipresence that allowed Jesus to promise the disciples. Remember in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. What? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. What? What? In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. How can I have confidence? How can I have confidence? And behold, I am omnipresent. I'm with you for how long? I am with you what? Even to the end of the age. How long is that, Dwayne? forever. Do you see any comment in there about and if you do a good job discipling I'm with you. If you read your Bible I'm with you. The more you read your Bible the more I'm with you. Do you see this? Do we see any of this in our Bible? Now, some of you saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know that God... But there's a difference between the fact of God's presence and our experience of His presence, certainly. Correct? I mean, you know your little child is right next to you. There he is. That's the fact of it. Now, the experience of it may be when he throws a tantrum. Now you're experiencing the presence, but the fact is what? He's with me. Do we, can we disassociate experience from fact? Amen truth from experience our problem is we're trying to make our experience the truth or the fact and we have it backward the experience is based on the truth not the truth on the experience but the two go together jesus said what i'm with you how long always even what to the end of the age to the end of the age You see, because God is omnipresent, we can depend upon his constant and consistent presence with us. And we can be sure that he will never, ever, ever, whatsoever, ever, under any circumstance, withdraw his presence from his people. Now, that should begin to not only comfort, but should begin to allow a solidification of your walk with god so that when your walk isn't that great and i know that all of us wind up in circumstances and at times and seasons when our walk is not great amen and steve has god left you when your walk is kind of (laughs) is he with you as much as he was when your walk was great Yes, we do not evaluate God's presence on the basis of anything in or about us. God's presence is a fact of his very nature. So let's take a moment just to look at love, God's love within the context of his presence. Because God is omnipresent, God's love is also omnipresent. May I repeat that. Because God is omnipresent, his love being another attribute, equally simultaneously existent in God as essential to him, right? It's equally simultaneously existing in him as to his essence, love, as to his essence of omnipresent. Because God is omnipresent, what does that say about God's love? It is also omnipresent. God's love is as omnipresent as God himself. Now again, hopefully, as I've said, this is expanding our understanding and appreciation of the love of God and is beginning to demolish our self-concept of love, God's love, in relation to something in or about us. Making sure that the fact of God's presence may be distinguished from our experience of his presence. I certainly understand that you may not experience the presence of God's love or even God's presence. But what does that mean? That God has forsaken his people? So when you don't experience that, do you go, you don't fall apart. The enemy loves it. And where are you, God? I know you're here. I know you're here. I know you love me. I, uh, you know, I'm going to allow you to minister to me. I will not be overcome. I don't care anything about my feelings. I know for a fact that you are with me and that you love me. Amen. Do not let the devil rob you of the experience of God's love. He can't rob you of God's love, but the experience. I've heard people say, he's robbed me of my joy. He can't rob you of his joy, God's love, a joy. But he can rob you of the experience of his joy. Do we see how we talk? Don't talk foolishly. Talk biblically. It's impossible for God to withdraw his love from his people. Impossible. You see, this means that God's love is, not the, conse- is the consequence of who he is, not the consequence of who we are. Please get this into your hearts and minds. Ask the Holy Spirit to make it so clear and deep and wide, this love of God. Although there may be many times that God seems to have withdrawn from his love from us, what? He is not. Why? Why hasn't God withdrawn his love? Because God is. God's love is who he is. God is love. Jeremiah 31.3, the Lord describes his love, what? As an everlasting love. Remember last week, I think it was last week, we talked about the everlasting covenant of God with Abraham. Remember in Genesis 17, 17? What does everlasting mean? It's a term which has to do with God's aseity. My covenant with you is as enduring and is as existent as I myself am existent. The covenant that God has with His people has always been in His heart and mind. It has no beginning because God has no beginning, and it will have no ending. And this love of God is called everlasting love, is the same love. God's love for his people is a consequence of who he is. He has loved us before we were created because we were in his heart and mind. I don't know how that works, but it just is. It's always been. And we will always be in the heart and mind and physically in the presence of God in heaven. And now in the Holy Spirit, we have God's love. How long is God's love? Forever. Why? Because God is love. Because God's universal presence is a fact of his existence, his essence rather, his constant and con- consistent love is also a fact of those who belong to him. Now listen to what Paul says. And let's hope that this means a little more to us right now. <clears throat> who or what? Now think, who? Think about a moment. In your life, just think of a moment. Who in your life challenges God's love. Anybody in your life challenges? when I'm with that person. Are are you with me? What challenges God love? What circumstances are you in? That is a challenge to God's love. Look at the apostle Paul says, who or what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you see God's omnipresence in that term, that question? Do you see God's omnipresence? That's the same question that David asked. In 139 Psalms, where can I go from your presence? It's the same, do you see? It's the same question. Will tribulation, can tribulation separate us from this omnipresent God? I can't hear you. No. What about distress? Can distress separate us from this omnipresent God? No. Can persecution separate us from this omnipresent God? But maybe my wife can, my boss can, the Democrats can, Alabama can, white folks can, black folks can, and continuing. What can separate us from the love of God? What can separate us from God's omnipresent love? What? Nothing. Nothing. Can famine, nakedness, peril, sword? In all of these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Why? Because God is, is. Is. Can we say that? Yes. Can we begin to disconnect our understanding and appreciation of God's love and our expectation of God's love from ourselves and place it where it needs to be in the very being of this God who is in himself love. love? God's omnipresence means that he loves us in every storm. Remember the storm? Let us go to the other side of the lake. Remember that? And they're in the boat, and Jesus is snoring away. He's tired. He's tired. And he's what I need every afternoon, a nap. He needs it. Why? He's a human being. He's a human being. He needs it. And the storm comes up. And all of a sudden... The disciples, what? Don't you care that we're what? Perishing. Where was Jesus in the midst of this violent storm? With them. Where's Jesus in your storm? Where is he? The reason a lot of times we are not experiencing his presence because we're not believing his presence. We're not confessing his presence. Lord, this is one hell of a situation. I feel like I'm in the bottom of a birdcage. But I know this. You are with me. You will never forsake me. And you are with me as much now as you ever have been, as you ever will be. You see, this is the reality of God. God. Satan wants to continually connect us to the things of the world and must move on. God's omnipresence means that he loves us in the trial of life. Remember the three boys that were thrown into the fiery pit under Nebuchadnezzar? Where was God? He was with them right down there in the fourth man. He's right there with them in the fiery trial. Um, now omnipresence, God's omnipresence, means he loves us even when we sin, for goodness sakes. While we were sinners, Christ died for us even when we sin where is god's love for us it's with us as much as it was if we had not sinned can you get free of your small view of god's love and allow the magnificent power of this omnipresent god's love to begin to permeate and overcome so much in our lives God's omnipresence means that his love is steadfastly present because he is steadfastly present. I'm always with you. God's omnipresence love should give us great hope and assurance that he loves us. Why does God love us? Because God is love. Because God is love. This love should quiet our fears. Should empower us against every temptation should assure us of Jesus' love for us. Why? Because he promised to be with us even to the end of the age. You see, God's love is an everlasting love because God is the everlasting God. Amen? Next week, we'll talk about the omnipotence of God.